Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Just let me pray, uh, and we'll get started. Gracious and glorious Lord, you are mighty and powerful, glorious beyond compare. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are abundant in mercy, and you are faithful. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that as we open your word and we submit to it, that it is a two-edged sword and it does not return void. Lord, we ask this morning that as we submit to your word, that you would be shaping us and refining us and challenging us and conforming us to the image of Christ. Father, that we may move from glory to glory, that we may be sanctified and live lives that are pleasing to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Since becoming parents, and I'm sure those of you who have been parents before will understand this, Ruth and I have become acutely aware of just how careful we have to be with what we say and do in front of the kids. And it's quite scary, really, when you realise that those little eyes are watching and those little ears are always listening, and the very things that you do can shape the things that they say and do. Ruth and I learned this lesson in a big way just before Izzy turned three. We were just back in Australia. Uh, We were engaged in a conversation with a man who, let's just say, could talk under wet cement. Uh, And Ruthie was holding Izzy at the time. And after listening to this man for about 10 minutes, Ruthie, although uh, Isabel, although quietly said, said loudly enough for this man to hear, shut up, just shut up. You can imagine the shock for us. We, we honestly had no idea where that came from and we were very embarrassed. And the fact that she said it in context too was just, what is going on? We genuinely had no idea where she'd heard this from. We certainly would never condone her speaking 
to someone like this, we are very careful with what she watches on TV. And Isabel, uh, Ruth and I don't talk like that to each other or to anyone. At least we thought. Three days later, I was telling Ruthie a story that she found a little hard to believe and it shocked her. And as she slapped him in the arm, she said, no way, really? Shut up. We learned a valuable lesson that day. If we want our children to live and behave in a worthy manner, we need to be good examples to them, don't we? Because good examples shape us for good and bad examples shape us for bad. We all know the importance of a good example. I, I heard my mum say numerous times, oh, I like that boy. He's a, he's a good example. You should be his friend. We need good examples to teach us how to live well in all circumstances, to model to us how to conduct ourselves well in conflict and in times of joy, in times of hardship or in times of plenty. We need good examples to help us know how to conduct ourselves at work, with our family, with our friends, and also in church. For as Christians, it is no less than Jesus who we are representing. And just like the behavior of our children often reflects on us, whether in a positive way or perhaps in a negative way, the way we conduct ourselves also reflects Jesus to each other and to this world. When Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, he was, he was writing to a beloved church to him who were living amongst pagans. And they were actually being persecuted by them. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter, he himself was in jail being persecuted for the gospel. Now, by all accounts uh, from this letter, the Philippian church was actually doing really well, unlike many other churches that Paul had an influence over. But knowing full well the danger of having bad examples living around them and amongst them, Paul still encourages the Philippian church to continue to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he does this most profoundly in our verses today. These verses are like the pinnacle of the letter to Philippi. In our passage today, Paul points the Philippians to the ultimate and perfect example. Let's get stuck into it. Let's look at what Paul has to say about Christ's perfect example. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Paul begins in verse 5. Have this mind or attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling the Philippian church to have actually among them, within their body, specifically within their Christian fellowship, the same attitude of mind that Christ had. Now, have you ever watched someone and thought, man, I wonder what they had in mind? This is the essence of what Paul is saying here, and we're about to see what the mind or attitude of Christ is, what was most important to him, the principles that he treasured, his objectives and the foundation of his choices. And it's these things which are to unite us and be our primary example. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now verses 6 to 8. 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In verse 6, we get a really special insight into Jesus before his incarnation, before he came to earth as a man. Verse 6 describes Jesus as being in the form of God. And the idea here is that Jesus was and is absolutely and unchangeably God. And while we don't know the physical form of God or the physical form of Jesus before he descended to earth, we know their form was glorious. So Jesus absolutely, essentially, and unchangeably existed in the glorious form, the magnificent brilliance of his absolute perfect nature, his perfect state, and his perfect being. Complete splendor, the very form of God. Jesus is God, yet also distinct from God. But despite existing in glorious, complete perfection, we're told that Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus, though equal with God and God himself, didn't treat his glorious form as something to be selfishly used to his own advantage or hug it to himself jealously. You know, I think this tells us as much about human nature as it does about the nature of Jesus. Of course, Jesus wouldn't selfishly exploit his divinity, would he? He's, he's perfect. It's not in his nature to do so. But we know from history that it is in our nature to do so. Look at Adam and Eve. They were created with perfect, uninhibited relationship with God, yet that wasn't enough for them. They wanted to be like God. Look at us. The natural human tendency is to, to grasp at and exploit any, any personal advantage or, or power or position or recognition that we can, whether that be in our workplace, amongst family or friends, and often within churches. We see time and time again people use their right, rights and their, their status or their influence to get the most favourable outcome or situation for themselves. But not Jesus. He does the opposite to this. Look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who existed in perfect glory, willingly emptied himself, made himself nothing by taking the, the physical form of a human, a slave no less, in order to save us. Now, this is not to say that Jesus gave up his godlike status or divinity. No, he remained fully God. 
but he gave up his perfect dwelling and his divine rights. He hid his glory from the world, the very glory that was due to him. Church, do you get how incredible this is? The glorious creator and ruler of the world willingly came down to the absolute slums, the lowest of the lowest, to be a slave with no earthly rights or privileges, to serve those who rebelled against him. The one who was righteous gave up his rights. The one who should be served as king, glorious king, came to serve. But Christ's humility and selflessness, it doesn't end here. Verse 8 tells us, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we know from Scripture that death alone is the just consequences for our sin. But Jesus was sinless. But death on a cross? Man. This was a shameful, disgraceful, depraved and sadistic torture reserved for the worst of humanity. But Jesus was the best of humanity, the creator of humanity, perfect in every way. Yet in obedience, our verses, our verses say, the one who existed in the glorious form of God humbly and willingly did this for us. No one forced him. And think about this for a moment. While knowing that he was and is God, knowing that he was there since the beginning of time with God at the creation of mankind, knowing that he is a glorious part of our triune God, Christ willingly was beaten by men whose muscles and bones and ligaments he created and was sustaining. Jesus was cursed by voice boxes he created and was sustaining. He was spat on from mouths and saliva glands that he created and was sustaining. He was nailed with metal he created to a tree that he spoke into existence. All for our undeserving souls. There is not in existence, church, a greater humility than this. I mean, we have enough trouble, don't we, when we're not recognized for something that we do. But Jesus... Let himself be flogged and tortured by his own creation, the creation that should be serving him, all for its own sake. This is Christ's example to us. This is the example that we must follow. And this is the mind or the attitude that Paul says we must have amongst ourselves within the body. It's one of self-sacrificial humility. But I guess we have to ask ourselves, what does this look like for us? What does this look like for you here in Area Park Baptist? 
How does this mind or attitude of Christ manifest itself among believers? Now, I wish it was easy as just flicking on a, a humility switch, right? Jump up with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. These are the verses immediately preceding us today. Philippians 2, verse 2 to 4. Complete my joy by being of the same mind or attitude, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind or attitude. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's saying to the Philippians that if the gospel is true, then our life should look like it's true. If we've been united with Jesus in salvation, we should represent this unity in the way that we live with each other. We're to be unified in our mind and in our love. And this mind, the mind of Christ or attitude of Christ, isn't motivated by selfish competitiveness or pride or self-promotion. It's not motivated by me, me, me. It's not looking for recognition or prestige. These things destroy the unity of the church and the way we represent the gospel. Instead, in humility, this mind, it counts others more significant and looks to their interests rather than looking to its own interests first. This is the mind of Christ. This is the example that he gave us and what unites us. Jesus did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, he counted our lives more precious than his own. He didn't look to his own interests, but to the interests of the world, a world that had rejected him. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know as well as I do that this doesn't come naturally to us, right? Particularly in church community. There will always be people. Sometimes they may even be us who seem to be out for themselves, their status, their way, their glory. But church, just imagine. Imagine how incredible it would be to be a part of a community where the majority of its members, despite those who might be causing difficulty, imagine if the majority of the members here and in churches around Australia and abroad thought about everyone else's interests before they thought of their own. Imagine the witness it would be to those who are being difficult. Imagine the witness it would be to each other. Imagine the witness it would be to those who have not received yet Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to our neighbors, to those who are watching. This is the example that we are called to follow, church. 
This is the mind or attitude that we are to have. We must seek to grow in our willingness, despite our natural unwillingness, to count others in our congregation more significant than ourselves. It may mean, or this may mean, finally serving the church with your gifts on a, on a team or a ministry rather than serving your own selfish needs or desires when you can't be bothered or you just want to selfishly remain a pew warmer. Or you might be serving. So it may mean for you that you need to repent of serving out of a selfish ambition or a desire to be known and praised rather than serving out of a love for Christ and for your church family. Or maybe you're doing too much without rest, not giving others the chance to serve or giving them your best. It may mean prioritizing Sunday more regularly because you are an integral part of this community and this body. Rather than just showing up when you feel like it and crippling the body by not committing to it. It may actually mean having a difficult conversation with someone, even though you find that difficult and you don't want to, in order to benefit them and the rest of the church. It may mean actively seeking to make a difference in areas of the church family that need help, rather than just being an armchair critic and complaining but doing nothing yourself to see change. It may mean being willing to listen first rather than wanting everyone to know your opinions or being willing to do things differently to what you think is best. It may mean intentionally taking time out of your week to disciple a younger or less mature member of this congregation rather than just watching rubbish TV or whatever it is that you like to do. Now, if you're like me, then you probably need to grow in all of these areas. And I'm sure, just like me, you can think of a million excuses why that's inconvenient or why you can't commit to pursuing this costly life because it is costly. It could be, I'm too busy, I'm too shy, I don't have the resources, I'm too young, I'm too old, it's always been done this way, I don't like it. But church, imagine if Jesus used these excuses to avoid taking the form of a slave and dying for you. But he didn't. This is a costly life. It was costly for Jesus. But let's look at what happened to him as a result of his self-sacrificial and humble obedience. Look at verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How good. Jesus emptied himself. But God highly exalted him by raising him up and glorifying him. Jesus humbled himself 
And God gave him the name Lord, the name that is due him and above every other name. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Jesus was obedient even to death. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they'll do this whether they're saved or whether they're not. All will one day recognize Jesus as Lord and worship him. God graciously rewarded Jesus for his sacrificial obedience. But let's be real. This reward wasn't the motive for Christ's humility or his obedience, and nor should it be ours. Christ's love for us is what led him to the cross, led him to humble himself unto death. And it is our love for Christ that must motivate us to pursue the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, humility and selflessness, putting our brothers and sisters in Christ before ourselves. A true follower of Jesus pursues this. And the, world tells, the, the word tells us that just like Christ, regardless of what this life costs us here on earth, we too will be exalted with Jesus, our Lord, when he returns. It is the humble that will be exalted. Church, if you're saved, you have the mind or attitude of Christ in you. Let me encourage you this morning to use it and pursue growth in it. Selfish ambition and and vain conceit, it only stunts the church and it ultimately destroys our witness to each other and to the world. But the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, builds the church up. Let's have this mind. Whether we're in the Philippines or whether we're in Area Park or Wagga Wagga or wherever the Lord may have us. Let's build the church together, follow Christ's example. Be willing to self-sacrifice, to think of others before ourselves. Looking to their interests before our own in order that we may honour the Lord and follow the perfect example of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you then. We thank you that you sent your precious son, Jesus. Father, we thank you that he willingly gave up his rightful position, his glorious status to come to us, to serve mankind as a slave, though we did not deserve it, to become nothing and to die on a cross, even on a cross. And, Father, we thank you that that not only redeems us 
and gives us the opportunity, Father, to be reconciled back to you. But Father, we thank you that that is the perfect and most beautiful example of how we must conduct ourselves within the church. Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would be helping us to do that. Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, Father, you would be convicting us. Showing us, Lord, where we may need to repent, where we may need to find reconciliation, where we may need to find forgiveness. And Lord, give us the the, the boldness and the courage and the intestinal fortitude, Father, to pursue that as you pursued death on the cross for our sake. Lord, help us to do away with the excuses. Recognizing that you had every excuse not to die for us, yet you did anyway. Conform us to the image of your son, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.